what is the role of the church in politics? How are Christians supposed to relate towards the government? What should our attitude be? So let me ask you this morning, how do you think or what do you think about the relationship between Christianity and politics? What is our attitude towards the government supposed to be? Perhaps you think that Christians should remain completely separate from politics. They should refrain from having any involvement in the government. After all, what has the church have to do with the capital? And so perhaps you maybe follow the, the bury your head in the sand model where you just completely ignore all talk of politics. You don't think about political issues and every once in a while you peek your head up out of the sand just to see if it's over yet. Or maybe perhaps you, you think that Christians are allowed to be involved in government. It's something that they can do but they just need to check their Christianity at the door. Separation of church and state, right? So sure, Christians should be involved in politics, but not as Christians, just as normal, everyday citizens. Christianity and politics, they're like oil and water, right? They, they just don't mix. And every time Christianity and politics mix, things go bad really quickly. Maybe we should just leave our Christianity in the privacy of our own homes and not force that on others. Maybe that's how you think about Christianity, or maybe you think that Christians absolutely need to be involved and active in politics and government as they seek to transform their culture. This isn't just something that Christians can do. This is our duty. This is something that God has called us to do. And so you, perhaps you start or you join a, a political club on, on campus. Maybe you walk the precincts for the, for the candidate of your choice. You make phone calls. You donate, you donate money all to get the person that you believe will go to Washington or to Sacramento and do the most good for Christianity and for culture. Well, Christians have certainly interacted in, towards government in each of these ways and many more throughout history. But what we most need this morning from, is from God's word to show us, and we need God's word to highlight what our attitude towards government should be. Because while this is certainly a complicated topic in many ways, God's direction for us in this passage is really quite straightforward. As in this passage, Peter here shows us what our attitude toward government should be and why we should have this attitude. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at what, we're going to look at the what and the why of our attitude of our approach as Christians to government. And so first, let us consider what should our attitude towards government be? In this text here, we see that God calls us to gladly submit to human government. God calls us to gladly submit to human government. Look at me at verses 13 and 14. The apostle Peter writes, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors is set by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. In the opening words of these passage here, Peter makes it very clear what our attitude towards human government is supposed to be. As sojourners and exiles, our posture in the public square is to be one of glad submission. 
To, to be subject or to submit to government means that we recognize the authority of government and we yield to that authority. It means that we recognize that the government's authority is real, that it's good, and we yield to it. And so we obey the laws, we follow the statutes, we pay our taxes, right? And here we see that this submission, it doesn't just mean outward obedience to the government, but we see that it also means that we respect, that we honor the very office of those who are in authority and those who hold the office. This is exactly what Peter tells us in verse 17 where he tells us to honor the emperor. So here we see that our submission, it's not just outward obedience, which it certainly is, but it's also having an honorable attitude towards those who are in authority. This means that we'll seek to honor them and how we think and how we talk about them and how we act towards them. Now, it's very possible at this moment you might be thinking that Peter's just being naive here, right? He, he was just writing pie-in-the-sky theoretical stuff. I mean, if he only knew the leaders that we'd have to submit to, there is no way that he would call us to submit to them, yet alone command us to do that, right? But if you're tempted to think this way, we just need to keep in mind who Peter's talking about as he writes these verses. You see, we're not entirely sure when this book was written, but it was written either towards the end of Emperor Claudius's reign or the beginning of Nero's reign. And neither of these guys were pillars of Christian morality. They were not even close. In fact, it's Nero who institutes the first state-sponsored persecution of Christians as he brutally tortured them, even using their bodies to light his gardens at night. It's history that tells us that it's Nero himself who would order Peter, the author of this epistle here, to be crucified upside down. As we take a step back and consider who these leaders were just remarkable that it's with these leaders in mind that God calls us to gladly submit and to honor those in government and to honor those in authority. I just think to, to bring this home for us, if the Roman emperor was to be honored, I just want to ask all of us, what is our excuse for not submitting to and honoring our democratically elected leaders? As I was preparing for this sermon, I was reminded of a lecture by uh, Russell Moore. He's a, he's a pastor. He was a professor. At the, he's the dean of the School of Theology at the seminary that I attended. And in this lecture he gave about the role of, of Christians in government, he told a story about as he would travel around the United States, he found himself constantly having to correct Christians for how they would talk about the president. You see, at this time, we were right in the middle of President Obama's first term. And as Russell Moore would travel the country talking on Christianity and politics, he would often hear people refer to President Barack Obama as Obama. I mean, you could, you could see, they would say it just like that, Obama. You could see them, see them scowling. You could hear the, the scorn in their voice as they would just dishonor him in the way that they talked about him. And Russell Moore just very, would very gently and lightly correct their attitude and showing them how this, how Peter in this passage shows us that we are to honor those in authority. You see, more than anyone else, Christians should be among the most respectful and honoring to our leaders and towards those in authority. 
rather than seeking to shame or to heap scorn on them. Here, God is calling us to submit and to honor them. This certainly here doesn't mean that we have to agree with everything that they do or all of the positions or the policies that they hold. But our attitude towards our leaders should be one of honor, especially in the midst of our disagreements. So I just want to ask, how are you, how are you doing here? Or maybe, maybe more important for some of you, what does your Twitter or Instagram feed show about how you're doing here? Is your engagement in the political realm honoring towards our political leaders, no matter which side of the aisle they're on? Because the truth is that in this political climate, where there's always a reason to be mad, as one commentator I follow put it, honoring those in authority is especially hard. It's so much easier to just demonize anyone that we disagree with or anyone who doesn't stand behind our guy or our, our, our gal. It's so much easier just to demonize them rather than to honor and to respect them. But here we see God's call to each of us that we are to gladly submit to his rulers. And he doesn't just call, what I love about this passage here is he doesn't just call us to do that, but he gives us two reasons why we're called to submit to our government, why we should have this attitude. And I think that as we look at each of them, you'll find it becoming a little easier in your heart to want to gladly submit to government. At least that's God's aim for us this morning. And so the first of these two reasons that Peter gives us is that we should gladly submit to government because government is chosen by God. Government is determined. It is appointed and chosen by God. Peter makes this point twice in this passage. Look with me again at verses 13 and 14 here. He writes that the leaders, that we are to submit to the leaders for the Lord's sake. Did you see that there? And as he continues, he, calls, he tells us that these leaders have been sent by him. Do you see that there? We are to submit for the Lord's sake as those who have been sent by God. This passage is clear here that all governments, that all leaders have been ordained by God. He's the one who's placed them in power. And again, just remember, he's talking about Claudius or Nero here. And yet, even as these rulers... Um, and yet, even these rulers here have been chosen by God. You see, all governing authorities, whether they're presidents, senators, representatives, your mayor, your city council, members of the school board, even the planning commission, all of them have been instituted by God. In Romans 13, Paul makes this clear as he tells us to let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by him. Do we have that up there, Romans 13.1? Paul calls us here. Did you see that? He says that all of those governing authorities, they have been instituted by God. As Paul continues, he calls these leaders God's servants. Not only has he instituted them, but they are serving him. I remember one of my church history professors telling a story about how the Christians in the early church would make the Romans and those in the culture around them really mad because of the ownership that the Christians themselves felt over the emperor. You see, in many ways, the Christians viewed the emperor as more theirs, as belonging to them, more than to the Romans themselves 
because it was their God who chose them and placed them on the throne. They just made this claim that that ruler is ours because he is God's ruler. I just want to ask, is this normally how, is this how you normally view those in power? Especially those from the other side of the aisle, those whom you did not vote for? I mean, I think if we understand this point, it can fundamentally change our attitude towards those who are currently in power or those who will be in power just 11 months from now. Now, you might not be the biggest fan of our president or our governor or really any of your representatives. And hearing this command here to gladly submit and to honor them might be really hard for you. But as you take a step back to hear what God is telling us in this message, I think that this reality should change our attitude as it helps us see that our submission to human government, it's not an endorsement of the person, but it's an expression of our trust and our confidence in God's sovereignty, knowing that that they are ultimately God's servants. I just want to say that again here, that our submission to governing authorities, it is not, absolutely not, an endorsement of the person, but it is a glad expression of our trust and our confidence in God's sovereignty because our submission to them is really submission to God. We submit for his sake. And church, the amazing thing about this is that when we submit to those in authority as submission towards God, it makes it worship. Because when our submission to government is done in submission to God, we are showing how precious Christ is to us. We are giving tangible expression to the supreme and all-satisfying worth of God, the very one who chose all of those elected leaders. So as you honor those in authority, as you obey the government, as we do so acknowledging that those governments are are in authority by God, knowing that those laws have been put in place ultimately by God, it's worship. Paying your taxes in the next two or three months will be worship for you. (laughs) That's what this passage can do for you, if nothing else. Paying your taxes can be worship. And just personally, this has been very helpful for me this past week, especially with all of the impeachment stuff going on, as I have just been tempted multiple times to, to disparage or to demean various political leaders in my thinking and in the ways that I want to talk about them, as God's been reminding me in this passage, these leaders are there by his authority. And I've I've just let that rest on me. I found that it's becoming easier in my heart, although it's certainly very hard at times, to gladly submit to them. Not out of my trust and confidence in who they are, but in God. And so if you can relate with me, if you find it hard to honor any of our leaders, if you're tempted to join the Twitter mob or to speak of God's authorities in a way that wouldn't build them up, in a way that wouldn't give grace to them, ask God to help you believe that all governments have been chosen by him as you respond in obedience in gladly submitting to them. And just as an aside, I just want to mention that this point here, that all government is ordained by God, should really fill our hearts with peace as we enter into this 2020 election cycle, as it picks up steam, got the Iowa caucuses tomorrow. Because no matter how volatile things get, 
no matter how apocalyptic the rhetoric is, as we are surely going to be told countless times in the coming months, that this is the most important election in our history, or that the future of our country or the republic is at stake come November, that is until 2022 and then 2024. But as we hear these things, I think God would just want us to have supernatural peace in our politically weary souls as we rest in God's wise and sovereign sovereignty over our elections. So we submit because government is chosen by God here. And the second reason he gives us is that we gladly submit because government fulfills God's good purposes. Government fulfills God's good purposes. We see this here, especially in verse 14. Look at it with me again here. We are told that rulers, those in authority, have been sent by God to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do, who do good. This here is job number one for our government and for those in positions of authority. They are to punish evil and to praise good. You see, government has been given by God. It is God-ordained. It's been given the God-ordained task here of promoting and maintaining peace, order, and human flourishing in all of our society for all peoples. Uh, Jonathan Lehman, in his excellent book that we have recommended and that Dan Arthur is going to be using as he teaches us his class on political church, in this book, How the Nations Rage, he highlights three purposes of government. Now, we're not going to look in these in detail this morning. If you want detail, come to the class starting next week. But he says the three purposes of government here are to render judgment for justice sake. Government is to promote justice It is to build platforms of peace, order, and flourishing. And lastly, government is to set the stage for redemption. And that's exactly what Peter's getting at here in our text where he tells us that government has been sent by God to punish evil and to praise good. They are to be doing those three things. And this is part of the reason why God has called us here to submit to government because they have a very important job to do. And I think that it's really important for us to keep this in mind because I'm absolutely convinced because it's true in my own heart that part of the reason why we have such a hard time mentally conceiving of the idea of joyfully submitting to government is that we really don't think that it has a purpose. We really don't think that government does anything good. If you're anything like me, you can easily think of all of the inefficiencies in the system, right? Maybe you just conjure up memories from your most recent trip to the DMV or maybe your most, in, your most recent interaction with the IRS, and we can just easily conclude that government just messes everything up, that we'd be so much better off if government didn't do anything, if it just kept its hands off of our lives. Donna and I were recently watching a show that I think captured a way that a lot of us can be tempted to think about government. In this episode, there was this student who was interviewing a government employee for a paper she had to write on why government matters. And after spending an afternoon with this government employee and at their recommendation, as she goes to write her paper, she writes two words. It doesn't. You can can imagine the surprise of the student's parents, of this student's teachers as they read this paper. Why does government matter? To read the two words, it doesn't. 
And I think that if we're not careful, you and I can easily slip into this way of thinking, that government just doesn't matter at all. And the problem is, if we find ourselves thinking this, thinking this way, we're going to have a really hard time obeying God's command because I don't know about you, but I'm not going to willingly submit to an institution that I don't think matters. But here, Peter wants us to to think theologically about the purpose of government, about the institution of government, and to see that it serves a vital purpose in God's economy. Our government serves a vital purpose in God's economy. It matters as it promotes, as it maintains peace, order, and human flourishing for our good. And as Jonathan Lehman points out, how the government sets the stage for the church's mission. So if you're here and you find that you are easily tempted towards cynicism when it comes to government, if perhaps the, the root of your lack of glad submission to government flows from your belief that, God doesn't, that, that government doesn't really matter, that it doesn't serve a useful task, let this truth give you the biblical conviction that you need to think rightly about government. And let this reality here give way to great thanksgiving to God in your heart for government, really no matter which party is in power, knowing that government has been instituted by God to fulfill his good purposes of praising good and punishing evil. I think this reality here also will help enable, it will propel us to be those who obey God's command to pray for our president, to pray for those in positions of high authority. We pray that God will give them wisdom to to do what he's called them to do, right? We pray that that God will give government wisdom to act justly, to build platforms of peace that we will be able to live peaceable and quiet lives, as Peter tells us in 1 Timothy or as Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 2. And again, this doesn't matter no matter which party is in charge. I think as we see the rightness, as we see the rightness of giving thanks to God and praying for our government, I believe that we will just naturally bear the good fruit of glad-hearted and joyful submission to God's chosen government. Now, before, we, before I finish up, I do just want to briefly address the question that you might be asking yourself right now or that might have popped up this morning. How are Christians supposed to interact with government? How are we supposed to respond towards governments when they praise those who do evil and when they punish those who do good? What happens when when government goes off the rails, so to speak, and it requires us to disobey God by doing what he forbids or forbidding us to do what God has commanded us? And I think that the answer here is very simple, at least theoretically. When When we face this situation here, we are to obey God as our ultimate authority. Remember what we saw in verse 13. It says that we are to submit to government for the Lord's sake. This in and of itself puts limits on our submission to government because it shows us that our ultimate allegiance is to Christ alone. He is our absolute ruler, the one that we submit to above all else. And our submission to government is out of a lesser allegiance. We honor God above all. So if the government commands us to do something that our king forbids, the matter is settled. It's a done deal. We 
like Peter and the apostles proclaim in Acts 5, no matter what government tells us, we must respond with we obey God rather than men. And like Peter and the apostles, we need to take our punishment. (laughs) We go to jail, we pay the fine, all the while like Peter and the apostles, rejoicing that we are counted worthy to suffer for the gospel. But even here in our civil disobedience, I think Peter has encouraging words for us as as this principle of glad submission changes how we disobey. Because we, we, we do so respectfully. We don't do so thumbing our noses at government. We don't do so mumbling curses under our breath, but we do so honoring the emperor. And I just want to mention that we should really give thanks to God that this isn't our experience. The, Amer- the American church is an exception in the church's history. The freedom and the blessings that we enjoy even right now under our government is unique. It is the exception. There are Christians today who would be murdered and killed for doing what we are doing right here. We are not in this position of civil disobedience. I'm not saying we're not going to be there in a few years. Only God knows that. But I think we should give thanks to God for the freedom that we enjoy now. As we close here, I just, I just love how this passage puts our political life in relation to God. As we've been trying to make clear in this series here, how we live and love in the public square is a discipleship issue. This, this isn't an area of our lives that can be siloed off from the rest of our Christian life because Jesus claims allegiance over all of our lives. As, as Abraham Kuyper says, there's no part of God's creation that God doesn't claim as mine. And that is true in each and every one of our lives, especially how we relate to government. And church, take comfort that Jesus leads by example here. Because you see, Jesus who commands us here in this passage to submit to human governments out of our submission to God is the same Jesus who himself submitted to human government in the ultimate act of submission to God the Father. As we quoted earlier in the Nicene Creed, as Jesus submitted to Pontius Pilate and the Romans, enduring the cross, where in his death and resurrection, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, for the sins of all who trust in him. And so through our faith in Jesus, we as Christians have been given the Holy Spirit who enables us here to gladly submit to government, knowing that it's been chosen by God for his good purposes. If you're here this morning and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, I just want to thank you for being here, especially for bearing through this sermon as we've spoken to mainly Christians this morning. But I would encourage you right now to turn from your sin and to look to Christ, the one who submitted in his death on the cross and bore the penalty that we deserve that we might experience the freedom that only Christ can bring to every area of our lives. Well, our passage this morning has been about submitting to human government. And as we've seen, it's certainly good and right that we do so because government is chosen by God and it fulfills his good purposes. But as we close this morning by celebrating the Lord's Supper, I want to release the ushers. I want to invite the band to come up.